Good morning, church. Good to see you all. Good to be with you. My name's Todd Gray, as Brother Richard has said, and I appreciate your church and several things about you. I appreciate, first off, your caring church, uh, the fact that you do what you do for missions. I, I have access to your giving records, and you, you have a real heart for the gospel to the nations, and I appreciate that about you. I, I appreciate your continuing church. These have not been easy days, but you've continued on and found a way to worship the Lord together as a group in the midst of it. You're being careful. You're wearing your mask, and I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate that you're a cooperating church, that you have decided as a congregation that we can do more together than any single church can do by itself. And so thank you for that. 3,700 missionaries you're helping to fund, church planting all across the, the nation, North America, about 1,000 kids in foster care in Kentucky at all times, disaster relief, uh, literally thousands of missionaries you're helping support all around the world and their families. They can't all be here to say thank you. So as one of them that you support, I say thank you for what you do and what you give to take the gospel to every person. Good to be with you this morning. Go ahead and find 1 Corinthians 3 in your Bible, if you would, please. 1 Corinthians 3. I want to speak to you on the subject of the gospel to every person. Do any of you ever have a task about which you have just felt overwhelmed? You felt like it was just almost too much to do. If you're a parent, your hand has to go up at this point. Yep. If you're married, your hand might go up. If you fixed a Thanksgiving dinner this last week, your hand might go up as well. All of us at times have felt overwhelmed about something that we've been asked to do. I grew up in a farm community in, in West Kentucky, and Tobacco Patch and Hayfield, those were about the only two options for a teenage boy that wanted to make some money in the, in the summer. One summer, I hired out to a farmer named Brad Lester, and, and Brad uh, was setting tobacco. And I know tobacco is raised around here, and several of you have worked in the tobacco patch, and you know what I mean when I say setting tobacco. And so that was the time when we didn't purchase our plants. We had to pull the plants from a plant bed. And so Brad had six or eight men out in the field setting tobacco uh, behind tobacco setters, and I was charged with pulling the plants to supply all those men with plants. And here I am, teenage boy, sitting in a big old plant bed. It's hot outside. I didn't bring any lunch with me. I didn't have any water. There were snakes out there where we were, and I felt overwhelmed about the job that I had been given to do. When you think about getting the gospel to every person in the world, it must be an overwhelming thought because it is an overwhelming task. When we consider a world population of nearly 8 billion people, 6,500 different languages, 4,200 different religions, and we're called to take the good news of Jesus Christ to every one of those persons, that is no doubt an overwhelming job. No single person can get that done. No single church can get that done. It's, it's a major task and assignment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, and the verses that surround that verse, the Apostle Paul isn't trying to get the gospel to every person, but he has been trying to get the gospel to at least some people. And the way that he did it and some things he says about the gospel ministry are encouragements to us as we think about this notion of the gospel to every person. I don't know if you're in the habit of standing when the scripture is read, but would you stand this morning and honor the reading of God's word? And I'm in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6. But I want to read some verse before and after as well. 1 Corinthians 3, beginning at verse 5, the author says, or Paul says, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? The reason Paul asked that question is because the church was kind of having a, a little bit of a rock star mindset about preachers. They had their preferred preacher, and they were comparing the preachers to, to one another. 
It's never a healthy thing, Brother Richard, to compare yourself to somebody else, but it's even more uh, intimidating and defeating when someone else is comparing you to, to someone else. But that's what was happening in the Corinthian church, and Paul was addressing that issue. Verse 6, he says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry, you are God's building. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, thank you for the gospel that we've already heard this morning through these worship songs and through the scripture that's been read. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you're our Savior, our only Savior, and you're the only Savior. Lord Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by you. There's no other way, dear Lord, and it's your gospel that explains who you are and what you've done, and, and we're not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God and the salvation of those who believe to the Jew first and also to the Greek, and, and yet, Lord, you've told us to take the gospel to every person, and so I pray that You'd strengthen us this morning, this gathering, this body of believers, those who will join us and view online, that you would do something in our hearts today to help us move forward with this great global mission. We pray this together in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. The gospel to every person, in my view, has three requirements, and those three requirements can be seen in the way the Apostle Paul is approaching his ministry. And I want to show you those three requirements very simply. And I hope very quickly and I hope very clearly. The first one is this. The gospel to every person requires passion. It requires a passion. A passion is something that we care deeply about, and it's something that motivates us to action. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. It requires a passion. Now, how many of you all right here on the heels of Thanksgiving would just say, I love to eat. Raise your hand if you enjoy good food. All right, almost every hand goes up in the room. I love to eat too much. I, I, in fact, I think it's just, I have a passion for food. I think way too much about eating. Connie and I, my wife, are having, we'll be having breakfast together. And, and while we're having breakfast, I'll say, Connie, what are we going to have for supper? She just gets so mad about that. And, and it's not that I necessarily expect her to fix it. I might fix the supper. We might even go out and eat somewhere. I just want to make sure somebody's thinking about it, don't you, that we're going to have some, we're eating now, but we're going to have something to eat later on as, as well. When we go on a vacation, we're not really too concerned with the great, um, <laughs> the great sights that, that other folks see. We just want to find a good place to eat, you know, in a good restaurant. I was preaching revival a while back over at a church in further west Kentucky, and and um, they had a place for me to stay while I was there in the week, kind of a little cabin to stay in. And they wanted to have some snacks in the room for me. And so the deacon in charge of snacks had reached out prior to the revival. And he said, we want to have some snacks for you when you're here. And, and what do you like to eat? And, and I said, at that time, I was trying not to eat so many snacks. And, and I said, oh, no, nothing at all. Thank you for offering. It's very kind. I appreciate it. But just I don't need a thing. And so uh, that, wasn't a, that didn't satisfy him. He sent a second email. And he said, we'd like to get you some snacks. What kind of snacks do you like? And. And I said, really, I don't need any snacks at all, please, just n uh, nothing, I don't need anything. So he emailed back a third time, pretty much saying, we're going to get you some snacks, tell us something that you would like to have. And, and I said, you give me some peanuts and some water. If you have peanuts in the room, I'll eat some peanuts, I'll drink water and have coffee, and, and that's all I need. Well, I got there, and they had the peanuts, and they had the water, but they also had this, um, they had this thing, I'd never seen it before, a bunch of you all have, but it's peanuts and candy corn mixed together. Have you ever had that? Listen, I've never actually smoked crack, but I'm pretty sure crack couldn't be any more addictive than that stuff. If you get the right combination of peanuts and candy corn, you have a payday bar in every bite. And I figured out the right combination after about 15 or 20 minutes, and, and then I had to finally hide this stuff for myself not to eat it. 
if you want to, as a church, get the gospel to every person, it's going to require passion because passion moves to action. Passion means we get up and do something about it. And in your case, man, you are a strong giving church. Again, I'm, I just want to reference this. Your giving last year to Great Commission causes was just in that area alone was almost $100,000. And that doesn't even include what you gave to the cooperative program. That's incredible for a church your size to say that we, we care enough about the gospel to every person in the world that we're going to financially sacrifice as a congregation to get that done. And I'm just proud of you for doing that and, and want to encourage you in doing it. Your giving is not in vain. You're accomplishing something when you give at that level. You're funding missionaries who are literally laying down their life to take the gospel to places that you can't go personally. They're not going for you. You're going with them when you support their work. And so giving to or gospel to every person requires a passion. Notice some things about Paul's passion. First off, Paul's passion is stated in other places. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, just for a moment in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says in verse 19, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself a servant unto all. Why would a man say, I'm free from people, but yet I've made myself a servant or a slave to people? Here's his reason, that I might gain the more, or that I might win people to Jesus. That's what he's saying. In verse 20, he says, And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain the, them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. And then verse 22, To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I have made all things to all men, that I might uh, by all means save some. Now Paul knows that he can't, save somebody the way Jesus saves someone, but he's trying to win them to put their faith in Christ. He's trying to convince people that believe in something other than Jesus, that they need to put their faith in the only Savior, the Son of God that died on the cross for their sin, was buried and rose again. And Paul said, I'm willing to change a lot of my own preferences that I might get that message and win people to faith in Christ. That's passion. And that passion leads us to make decisions. Paul's passion not only is stated, it's also restated. Look over at 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Paul, speaking of his gospel ministry, says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you, and Christ did, be you reconciled to God. That's, that's just the passion that this man had. Where did he get that passion? Where did that, where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from something that you heard referenced just a while ago, that you must be born again. When we're born again, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. And when he comes to live inside of us, he brings with him a desire for the things of God. When a person gets saved, I was 24 years old when I got saved. And when I got saved, I, I, I didn't want to do some of the things I'd done before, and I wanted to do some things I'd never done wanted to do before. And the things I wanted to do were things that were the will of God. And I didn't want to do those things before I got saved. I just, didn't, I just didn't want to, unless it just happened to coincide with something that I already wanted to do. But that desire to do those, the will of God 
came when the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me and and of you. That's where that passion came from. When Paul got saved, he came into the Christian life with a passion that other people would come to know Jesus. I was over in Monticello a while back with a group of preachers and and um, one of the uh, pastors uh, in the air in the at the meeting that day. He wanted me to meet someone, and so we got in his truck and headed off into a mobile home community just outside of Monticello, and came to this house, and there was no bearded man in there, really wasn't that old, he looked a lot older than he really was, his, his wife was in there with him, and had Bibles laid out on his, on his coffee table, and uh, he began telling me his, his story, he and I had something in, in common, I grew up near Kentucky State Penitentiary in Eddyville, and he had actually spent time in Kentucky State Penitentiary in Eddyville, and what he said was that he got hooked on, on uh, methamphetamines while he was in Vietnam. And then when he got out of Vietnam, he became a truck driver, but he still had this habit. And the habit just grew to the place where he actually started selling drugs to just kind of keep himself going and also to, to make some money. And, and he got caught as a drug dealer and spent time in the penitentiary because of it. And after he got out of the pen, some men kind of got him on their heart. And they started witnessing to him and started sharing Jesus with him. And that man finally got saved. His name was Jody. And when I went to visit Jody, uh, Jody was concerned about his neighbors that live in the same mobile home community as he had. He was wanting to find a way to witness to him. And so I had a bunch of these gospel booklets. I had the Steps to Peace with God. And I went and got him a bunch of those to give to him. And, man, you'd have thought that guy had been given a million-dollar bill. He had, he had a way where he could take the message that had changed his life, that he could share that with his neighbors. And that comes to us when we get saved. When the Spirit of God comes to live inside of us, we, we are born again with a passion. Listen, I don't know you, but I know one thing about you. The minute you got saved, you were concerned that somebody else would get saved. You might have been burdened for your mother, for your father, for your husband, for a son, for a daughter. But when you got saved, you wanted to make sure that your loved ones knew the gospel. And now things happen to, to dissipate that passion. But if we're going to reach the world with the gospel, it requires a passion. Here's the second requirement. The gospel to every person not only requires a passion, but it also requires a priority. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. It requires a priority. I read a book recently by John Maxwell. He, in his book, he mentioned a fellow who had trained large cats, large animal trainer named William Henson. And Henson said that every uh, cat trainer, every large animal, large cat trainer, has three tools that he uses when he's working with these cats. And if you've seen a circus or you've seen those guys that work with tigers and lions, you've seen these. They'll have, a, they'll have a whip, and they'll have a pistol, and they'll have a, 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 a three-legged stool or four-legged stool. And so he asked the question, which of those three tools do you think is most important? For me, that's an easy answer. I'm thinking it's the pistol, don't you? And the bigger, the better. And he said, that's not the answer. And then the second priority for me would be a whip because at least I can, you know, do something while I'm backing out the door getting away from this tiger. He says, that's not it. He said the, the, the priority tool for a lion tamer is that stool, that four-legged stool. And he says, here's what happens. When a lion tamer puts that stool in the face of a lion, he says the lion tries to focus on all four legs of the stool at one time. And when he does, it's almost as if the lion becomes paralyzed and he's no longer as dangerous as he would have otherwise been. And so they just keep putting that stool in front of that lion. And that got me to thinking, I think Satan has done that to us. I think Satan has put a lot of things in front of us. And we're trying to focus on all of them at once. In the process, we're not doing much about any of them at, at, at all. And I think he just keeps doing that. If we're to get the gospel to every person, 
That requires not only a passion from being born again and maybe being revived if we're born again and we're no longer passionate, but it also requires a priority that we make winning people to Jesus a priority right here at home, out in the nation, and also around the world. Look at Paul's priority. Paul's priority was to plant the gospel seed. He said, I have planted. Not I'm going to plant next week or not one of these days in the future. We're going to go out and do something about the gospel. He said, I have planted. His Christian life up to that point had been one of making Jesus known to people that did not know Christ. Man, just read the book of Acts and watch the Apostle Paul as he's trying to figure out where to go. And he tried one place, Spirit of God said no. Tried another place, Spirit of God said no. They had a vision, a man from Macedonia said, come over here and help us. He concluded that God had called him to preach the gospel in Macedonia. He went there in Acts 16 to preach the gospel. There wasn't a synagogue, which was his custom, to go to the synagogue and preach to Jewish people who already believed in God. But he went to a prayer meeting outside of town, and there was Lydia and the ladies that were gathered for prayer. And he preached the gospel to them, and God opened Lydia's heart to believe the gospel. Lydia opened her home, and then Paul went from her home into the streets, and there was a demon-possessed slave girl who antagonized him, and he cast the demon out of her, and she got saved. And then he got thrown in jail because of that uh, evangelistic encounter. And in jail, the Philippian jailer and his household got saved. Listen, if you watch Paul for 15 minutes, you'd figure out what was the priority of his ministry. The priority of his ministry was that Paul tried to win people to Jesus, that he was about the business of making Christ known to people who did not know the Lord Jesus Christ. It was, it was his priority. His priority was to plant the gospel seed. His priority was to plant it with people. I have planted. And what that means is, in a farm community, it means that this good news of Jesus Christ, this story of his death, burial, and resurrection, this story that when believed saves a sinner from eternal damnation to a right relationship with God into eternal security, that Paul planted that seed. How did he plant it? Well, there's no doubt he prayed about folks he witnessed to. There's no doubt he shared that story in a clear and compelling way. And there's no doubt he tried to convince people he was talking to that this is the truth and that everything else that's not this is not true and that he planted the gospel seed, he planted it to people, and then he planted it as a priority. I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Listen to what some folks have said about evangelism, because that's what, that's what you're doing when you're giving to the Lottie Moon offering for missions. You're committing to fund evangelism. Ray Comfort said, if you're not concerned for the souls of lost people, he said, I'm concerned about your soul. That's a, that's a pretty strong statement. Uh, James Merritt said that if evangelism is not at the top of your list, it won't even be on your list. And I've, I've just experienced that everything pushes evangelism out of the way. For me as a person, when I was a pastor, I experienced it. And as a church leader, I've experienced it. Uh, Dr. Tim Booker, who you all know well, Dr. Booker would say that a church will drift into fellowship, but it must be led into evangelism. A church that's going along without any direction is still going to get together and have a potluck every now and then. Amen. I'm looking forward to potlucks once again when COVID is behind us, but it takes effort to help that church be evangelistic. Uh, our, our IMB president, Dr. Paul Chitwood, tells us that 155,000 people, nearly 155,000 people die in the world every day, most of them without Christ. And so that stirs up something in us that all the things that are important to us, and there are many things important in the Christian life, that winning people to Jesus must be a priority for the church. And when you're giving money to this mission offering, you're saying this is a priority for you. Get the gospel to every person 
requires passion. It requires a priority. There's one more thing it requires. It requires a partnership. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. It requires a partnership. How many of you all are married? Would you raise your hand if you're married? You're happily married, but you keep your hand up. I hope. Oh, I think some new ones even went up on the second time, so that's good. That's always a good, always a good sign. I didn't see any go down, but saw some initial ones added. Uh, I'm in that category. I'm married, and I'm happily married as well. Connie and I have 27 years completed and working on number 28. April, if we live to this uh, upcoming year, we'll have 28 years together. And we are married, and we are happily married, but just to be very candid with you, it just wasn't always that way. Uh, Connie and I were in our late 20s when we got, when we got married. We were both very independent, both very much set in our ways. Um, we, we, I don't know if you ever saw those old Dodge pickup truck commercials on television, the Ram pickup where they had two Rams, literally animal Rams, busting heads on the side of the mountain. That was me and Connie in year one of our marriage. We knew we were supposed to become one. We just couldn't agree on which one we were going to become. And, and so we just had to keep kind of hammering it out, you know, until we got some things figured out. But it's not that way anymore. Uh, since that time, our marriage, it's, 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 I wish everybody had a marriage, and maybe you do, as, as uh, good as ours. Our marriage really is a partnership. We've raised kids together. We've built homes together. We've been in ministry together. I was uh, pastoring for one year before she and I were married. And it really is a partnership, and that just changes everything. When you're not fighting against each other but working together with something, that makes for a powerful relationship. The gospel to every person requires not only a passion and priority. You've got to want to do it. You've got to make it important in your, your life and the life of your church. But it also requires a partnership. Notice some things about this partnership. It's a partnership with other people. Paul referenced Apollos. I planted Apollos watered. And we're not doing this thing alone. In fact, any person who's been saved, it's generally safe to say that there were many people who had a gospel influence in that person's life. It's a partnership with others. It's also a partnership with your, with your church. Paul's talking to the Corinthian church here. When he speaks to the Philippian church, he thanks them for their financial support of the mission work that he was doing. So it's a partnership with your church. But most importantly, the gospel to every person must be a partnership with the Lord. Notice several references here where Paul acknowledges this partnership. Look back at verse 5. He says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believe, even as the Lord gave to every man? Paul says that God gave these opportunities to these various ministers, these assignments. Verse 6, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So Paul said, I put the seed in the, in the, in the ground in the mind of the person. Uh, Apollos came along and, and strengthened the, that seed and affirmed what had been said. But God's the one that gave the increase to the salvation. Then look at verse 7. So then neither he that planteth is anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Verse 8, now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward. This partnership brings a reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry. You're God's building. It's a partnership. It's a partnership. We pray, we give, we go, but we do it all in fellowship with the Lord. We do it as his children. We don't, we don't do it to make us right with God. We do it because we've been made right with God, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We want to see to it that every person in the world, every single person in the world, has an opportunity to hear this message and respond to it. Listen, when this vaccine is finally released on COVID, that thing's going to spread far and wide. It'll be not just in a little corner somewhere in America. It's going to get out all over the, all over the world. Folks are going to want to have it. Folks are going to want to get back to a life that they've had before. And folks are going to want to tell people where to get it and how to get it. Listen, we have something far better than a vaccine for COVID. We have the message that sets a man free 
from sin and death and brings them into a right relationship with God forever and ever and ever. Every Christian parent wants their children to hear this message and respond to it. Every Christian husband wants his unsaved wife to hear this message and respond to it. Every Christian wife wants her unsaved husband to hear this message and believe it. And God can use us to get this gospel to every person. What happens when you and I, as a practice, make getting the gospel to every person a passion, our passion, our priority, and a partnership with, with the Lord? A lot happens. In fact, you're saved because other people have done that very have done that very thing. I'm saved because other people. Folks walked across North Michigan Road and knocked on my door to share the gospel with me when I lived in Indianapolis, Indiana. When I got to Northside Baptist Church there on a Sunday morning, folks greeted me and loved me, and a preacher preached the gospel, and those folks literally loved me into the family of God because they had made a passion, a priority, and a partnership of winning people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our missionaries right now are literally scattered all over the world because they've answered this very call, and you're funding them when you give to this offering. But what about personally? What happens? August of 2017, just like any other Sunday for me, I preach somewhere, usually every Sunday morning, a different church somewhere in Kentucky, and I was scheduled that morning at Highland Baptist Church over in Henderson and got up early. It's about a two-hour drive and, and um, gained an hour because of the time change going there, but but I prayed before I left the house. I said, Lord, I'd love to, I'd love to witness to someone today. And I'm just, I'm no different than you. I'm nervous about sharing the gospel. Uh, I'm awkward about sharing it. I'd never say things exactly, <laughs> exactly like I ought to, ought to share. But I've discovered God doesn't really need me to be perfect. He just needs me to be obedient in sharing. But I did pray. And I said, Lord, I'd love to witness to someone today if you'd open up that opportunity. So I got the car and drove and went down 64 on the Indiana side, stopped at the rest area, uh, which is providential because of the timing, showed up at the parking lot of Highland Baptist Church in Henderson at just the time a man and his little boy were walking the sidewalk uh, beside the parking lot. And so I'm a friendly person, and so I waved at him, and I said, good morning. And, and he, said, he said, hey, he said, could you tell me how to get in this church building? I've never been here before. I said, well, I've never been here before either. Let's figure it out together. And so we started walking toward a church building. He told me his name was Mark. I told him my name was Todd. And, and Mark said this. He said, I'm, he said, I'm going through a divorce. He said, my wife left me, and I just felt like I ought to be in church this morning. He has a little boy, Connor, with him. And I said, well, Mark, I've never been through a divorce, but I, I hear that it's, it's the pain of it feels even worse than death. But I have had some problems. Could I show you something that's been helpful to me? And he said, yes. We sat on the next to the last pew before the service started, opened up a Bible, and I shared the gospel with Mark as simply as, as I knew how, because it's not how you share it. It's the gospel that saves people. And I shared the gospel with Mark, and I said, Mark, does this make sense? And he said, yes. And and I said, is there any reason you wouldn't want to just give your heart and life to Jesus right now? And he said, no, I'm ready. And Mark prayed before the service started. He prayed, gave his life to the Lord, prayed to receive Christ. And, and during the invitation, he got up, came down front, told the preacher that he had been saved and he wanted to get baptized. Got baptized the next Sunday morning at that church, Highland Baptist in, in Henderson. He's been there. That's, that was August of 2017. He's been there every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, with the exception of COVID. And I think one day he was sick. He's been in that church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night since that day in August of 2017. And then uh, Mark started doing this. He started praying for his ex-wife to get saved, the one who had just left him for someone else. He started praying for her to get saved. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone starts praying for someone who's really hurt them badly, come to faith in Jesus, that's a pretty good indicator that he got the real thing, isn't it? 
he called me of Easter, I think it was 2019. He said, I got some good news. I said, what's going on? He said, my ex-wife got saved. I said, which one? Because he's had more than one. And he said, the first ex-wife, he calls the second ex-wife something, something different. Since that time, Mark's ex-wife has received the Lord. Uh, one of his older sons has received the Lord. His son, Connor, that we've been praying for together for probably two years, his son, Connor, has received the Lord. Mark is growing as a Christian. He's read the Bible probably already two or three or four times. He memorized all of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, all 58 verses. He memorized other large portions of Scripture as well. And that's what happens when a person gets saved. And the only way a person gets saved is when people like you and I get God's mission on our heart. By giving like you're going to do through this offering, by praying like you already do, and by going, taking the good news of Jesus Christ to other people. If you're a Christian this morning, you hear a lot in here that you can apply to your own life, things that you can do. And maybe God's stirring your heart in some way in particular as a result of this, this text, this scripture, and Paul's example and what you see God doing in his life. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a believer, you've never personally trusted in Christ to save you, I want to say something to you as simply as I, I know how. I want to say, number one, God loves you. Would you affirm that, church? God loves every person in this room who will join us online. God loves you. Even though God loves you, our sin, and we've all sinned, our sin separates us from God. And sin is like a stain that will not be removed by good deeds that we do, by churches that we join, or by religious rituals that we undergo. But paying the price for our sin, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived a sinless life, died on the cross in our place as our substitute. He was buried, rose again the third day. And Jesus gives this invitation. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel. Repent says, I'm going the wrong way, but I want to turn around and I want to go to God. I want to go his way. Believe the gospel says, I'm putting all of my trust in Jesus to do for me what I can't possibly do for myself. And then life begins the moment that you put your faith and trust in Christ. Let's pray together. We're going to have an invitation. Father God, thank you for your word and your goodness and kindness and love to us. Thank you that you brought the gospel to us, Father God. I thank you this morning for Ron and Christy Job and for David Mastowski and for a mother that, that took me to church every Sunday morning, made me go even when I didn't want to go. I thank you for, for her and her influence. I thank you, Lord, for Bloomfield Baptist Church and the ministry of this church down through the ages, through the years. I thank you for their current ministry, for their pastor and the staff that labor here, the deacons that serve and the teachers that teach and the folks that find their place to, to, to live for you and are encouraged through the ministry of this church. Father God, I pray right now for every one of us that getting the gospel to other people would be a passion for us, a priority, and that we'd realize it's a partnership. We don't do it by ourselves, but we do it in the power that you provide. Uh, Father, I pray for this invitation time that you'd stir hearts and that folks would respond as you're leading. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing an invitation song, and I want to invite you to do something this morning. And I want to ask you to do it, not because I'm asking, but because you sense it's what the Lord will have you do during this song. Your pastor should be standing right down front. It's very possible there's some here this morning who are not yet members of this church. You attend here. You would even call this your church, but you'd never officially join. Would you come this morning as we sing this song, walk down front and tell this pastor, I'm ready to make this church my church home. We believe this is where God is calling us, and we want to plant ourselves and grow and serve right here with this body of believers. I believe this is a great church. You're not going to do much better in finding a good church in this area than this one. There's also probably some folks here who are saved, but you've not been baptized since you've been saved. You may have got baptized like I was when I was nine years old, but I got saved when I was 24. So I got baptized after I got saved 
at age 24. If there's someone like that, would you come today and say, I want to have my baptism in the right order? It's also possible there's someone here this morning that as you've heard the gospel, God's speaking to your heart and you're saying, I'm not yet a Christian, but I need to be and I want to be and I'm ready today to give my heart and life to Christ. I just need someone to talk with me. Would you come to the front during this invitation? You don't have to come by yourself. You can bring someone with you. If you're a child, you can ask a parent to come down front with you and they'll be glad to and let Pastor Richard speak to you. It's possible there's someone here this morning that as you've heard this passion and priority and partnership of the gospel that you say, that's just not where I am right now, but I need to be there and I need to have God do a fresh work in my life. Would you come pray for yourself this morning and pray for your church? You can kneel across the front. You can sit in these front pews. You can be socially distanced, but would you just come and say, God, I need a revival in my heart. I need a fresh start with you and a fresh touch from you. It's also possible this morning there's someone here that God's put a calling on your life and on the life of you and your family. And God's leading you to say yes to his plan for your life, which is going to include Christian ministry. If that describes you, would you come this morning and say, I'm ready to say yes to God's will for my life. We'll sing the invitation song. Your pastor will be right down front. As we sing, you please come this morning.